0: Good morning. good morning. It is so good to be with all of you. I, I came here last year and gave a, a brief update on how Amir was going and um, I'd just like to share kind of a couple minutes uh, at the start just to let you know the good news of, of what last year was. Um, at the beginning of the year God just gave me a word. He said, Steph, this year's gonna be big and it was big. It was big personally. Um, my husband and I, we adopted two amazing little girls through DCF They're 10 and 11, so you can be praying for us. (laughs) Uh, I am more tired than I've ever been in my entire life. (laughs) So, parents I now know, and I'm really sorry for making fun of you when I wasn't a parent. (laughs) Um, But it was also just, it was big for Amira. Um, We have more women in our safe home than we've ever had before. Um, I I don't know if you, you knew this, but we purposely were very slow about how many women we took in because we realized that trauma is a lot. And so we were just very slow, but, but we got to the point where, where we were doing so well, and so we have more women than we've ever had. We're, we're at a capacity now, um, which is incredible. And we have graduates out there in the world that we are supporting and helping still, which is amazing. Um, we were spoken to by a group in Connecticut that said, hey, what are you doing? can you come do this here? And now we're on the verge of having a second safe home in Connecticut, which is great. We launched outreach groups, uh, so we have a survivor leader that goes into places where we know victims are. Um, We launched those in the fall. In January, she started another group up, and she had 17 women show up to that group, Just absolutely amazing. On top of that, um, I got invited to the United Nations. So just like a small thing... (laughs) You know, when you get an email that says, would you like to come to a discussion? Yes, please, um, and so I got to go to the United Nations, um, and it was just absolutely incredible, and, and hang out with you know Cindy McCain, and just incredible people that are about this movement, and discuss practical solutions to eradicating human trafficking, and so I'm just so thrilled, because Amira is stronger than we've ever been because of your support, and because of what you are doing, Um, We are stronger than we have ever been because of what God is doing. And so I just want to thank you for that by starting off by saying that. Um, Another, I I, I should start promoting, um, another thing that happened was I wrote a book. It's it's for sale out in the lobby. You guys are actually the first place that I ever get to sell it. So buy it all. (laughs) Well, a few weeks ago, news broke that there was um, a problem with college admissions. I don't know if you guys saw the big, huge, sweeping uh, thing that the Justice Department said the largest college admissions prosecution ever, charging over 50 people with a nationwide scheme to gain access um, through colleges like Yale and University of South Carolina, Southern California without actually having the credentials to get into places like that. When this story broke, I really could not understand why someone would do this. I grew up watching Full House. My name is Stephanie, so I loved Stephanie. Um, But when Lori Loughlin's name was thrown into this, I was just like flabbergasted, mostly because of what she and her husband did. If you read the depth of what they did to get their two daughters into USC, so they made a a lie that their daughters were crew members and they never actually rode crew before in their life, paying, I think, close to $500,000 so that their kids could then go to USC where they would then have to pay USC's tuition. Who does that? I mean, that's like a million dollars by the time the girls are done with school. A million dollars. Just for your name to be in this place. Since this story broke, a tweet has resurfaced by Lori Laughlin from just a couple of years ago where she states, there are more important things in this world than money, like doing the right thing. Words to live by. Does that? If I were a rich man, if I were a rich woman, would I do this? I will never quite understand this, but the rich live in a different world. Status is everything, and you can buy your way into literally anywhere. But there are more important things in this world than money, like doing the right thing. I think this parable of Jesus from today's reading, has a lot to say about this. But before we dive in, can we pray? Father in heaven, I pray that you give us ears to hear what you have to say. Soften our hearts to where you are leading us. Open our eyes to what you want us to see. And help us, Lord, to walk in your way. In Jesus' name, amen. The parable of the rich man and Lazarus deals with some pretty significant impossibilities. I remember when I was a little girl and I heard this story, I immediately became fixated on that great chasm, right? When Lazarus is in heaven and and the rich man's in in hell, and, and then all of a sudden there's just this great chasm. I was just kind of scared out of my mind as a little kid. Like, you can't cross over, nobody goes in between, it is just there, it's permanent, it's final, it's frightening, right? Especially when you're a kid and you read this, it just felt impossible to deal with. But even today when you read it, these impossibilities still kind of ring out quite true. And while I think they are very important, I don't want us to get stuck focusing on these today. Because if we do, I think we're going to miss one really big point that Jesus was trying to make with this parable. If I were a rich man, or if I were a rich woman, but what if I already am? This story that Jesus is telling is in a list of stories that are filling up an afternoon of teaching. Earlier in Luke chapter 15, we find out that tax collectors and sinners started to draw near to him to listen to what he had to say. And then the Pharisees and the scribes, who were never far off, they came up and they sidled up next to Jesus as well, and they started grumbling about you know, the company that Jesus was keeping. We're reminded by Luke right before this parable in verse 14 that the Pharisees were lovers of money. And they had a really hard time hearing any parable that Jesus was saying if it was about money. I think the same is true today. If anybody starts talking to us about money, we kind of get really uncomfortable. You know, what do you... No, I'm not going to show you my bank statement. That's not appropriate. Yeah? Unlike most of the parables he has told, though, this one is really not commonplace. It's not every day that you get to go to hell or get to go to heaven and get to talk to Abraham, and that's not really something that happens, right? It's it's not the lost coin. It's not finding the one sheep. It's not a story that we can relate to. It talks about death. It talks about afterlife. Something that one day all of us will experience, but once it happens, there's a certain finality about that moment. We hear of an unnamed rich man. His wealth is shown through his clothes, the beautiful clothes that he has that are dyed in purple. His home, the gated community where he lives... His food, the feast that he daily receives. And then we hear of a named poor man, Lazarus. In Jesus' day, the contrast would have been immediately seen. The rich man is unnamed, but the poor man at the gate is given a name. Who was supposed to be unimportant is actually quite important in Jesus' mind. This is what he's trying to grasp at here. Lazarus is poor. He's a man with nothing. He is lying at a gate, begging, full of sores, longing to receive crumbs from the rich man's table. His sores are being licked by dogs, which might sound soothing to us in our time and culture. I mean, we have a miniature Schnauzer at home. She's the most adorable little thing that you would ever lay his eyes on. And she came and licked your toes, you would be satisfied for days. (laughs) But in actuality, in that time, in that culture, this would have been making an already unclean man ceremonial unclean, to be licked by stray dogs. So Lazarus' Lazarus situation is as tragic as the rich man's situation is sumptuous. It's into this story that Jesus introduces death. Not only the great equalizer, but the great reverser, as we see. All the agony Lazarus was in on earth, the rich man now has, plus the weight of eternity. The chasm is there. The finality of his plight, judgment has been set. There are a couple of things that I'd like to point out about this part of Jesus' story here. First, the rich man actually knew Lazarus by name. Did you catch that? How often did he see him in his life? How often did he reject the crumbs from his table? How many times did he dismiss him that he knows him by name? The rich man knew Lazarus. He knew of his plight, and he did nothing. Second that even in death, the rich man still thought less of Lazarus. He shows us this in his request, to serve him by dipping water onto his tongue to cool it, an act of a slave. Even in torment, his heart is still shown for what it always was on earth, an entitled rich man. The point of this story is not that Jesus is giving a final say on what heaven and hell will be like, but Jesus is making a big statement about our wealth and leaving us with a huge question to answer. The reality is is that each of us are rich and Jesus wants to know what we're gonna do with those riches. Now you might be sitting here staring at your wallet going, um, yeah Steph, I'm not rich. You know, if you saw what was in here, there's nothing. I can show you. But Jesus wasn't talking about wealth and gold. The Pharisees would not even have heard a word of this because they would be taking so much offense at what he was saying because they were talking. Jesus was talking about money. But Jesus isn't talking just about money. He's talking about their hearts. The rich man in the story, after realizing his fate, asks that Lazarus get sent back from the dead to his brother's homes to warn them that hell is indeed real. But Abraham simply replies to the man, they have Moses and the prophets, and if they can't hear from them, then they won't hear from somebody who rises from the dead. Moses and the prophets had a lot to say about how you treat those around us, especially with your money, no matter what your wealth is. They have a lot to say about what we love and what we do. Deuteronomy 14, 28-29, Moses talks about the intent of the tithe and how it's to be stored up for foreigners, the fatherless, the widows. This is their covenant to keep. Care for the foreigner, the fatherless, the widow, the poor. God shows love, you show it in return. Isaiah 3, 14-15, the prophet lays the accusation against the people of Israel for disregarding the poor. They broke the covenant for treating them poorly and forgetting them completely. Their judgment is coming. Jeremiah 5, 26-28, the prophet accuses the people of growing fat because of their riches. Their evil deeds were limitless, yet they forgot justice. They were warned that the Lord is sending judgment. The prophet Amos in chapter 2 talks about how the people have become rich and are trampling on the heads of the poor. Again, the loss of that covenant. He warns them judgment is coming their way. God's word has made clear what he desires. Our devotion to him is seen in our care for others. Jesus calls this the great commandment. Love God with your whole being and love your neighbor as yourself. If we desire God, then we will desire to love others wholeheartedly. The only way that we give out this kind of love is if we have been given this kind of love. If I were a rich man, well, the truth is that you are. Christ has made each of us rich in grace, so give it freely. Let me say that again. Christ has made you rich in grace, so give it freely. There are three things that I've learned about this wealth that I have. First, I found that when you are rich in grace, you are not possessive about it. The rich man in this story was in love with his possessions, so much so that he couldn't even give the crumbs away from his table. This story shows that when one has not received grace, it's impossible to give graciously. He had never accepted the gift God wanted to give him, so he was incapable of giving it away. But when your riches are grace and mercy and kindness and love, you find that you can give these away freely, happily, without complaint. You don't decide who deserves grace. No one deserves it. You simply just give it with joy. Not many people knew, know this, but I, I, I grew up on welfare back in Michigan. Money was something that was really tense in our home Anytime time there was a conversation about it. There was never enough, it seemed, and how it was spent was always under strict scrutiny. And I remember my mom was like the coupon queen. You know, she clipped every single coupon, even if we never were going to have corned beef, we, we clipped that coupon anyways. She would scour over the Sunday paper, and she would make sure that she had all of her coupons and all of our food stamps every single week ready to go when we went to the grocery store. One day we were going, and I noticed that my mom was particularly tense for some reason. I don't know what happened that week. You know, maybe my dad misspent, I don't know, but she was just really tense. And she was very, very careful as we went aisle by aisle. She made sure to grab the cans of things, not the fresh produce, but the cans of stuff. And we got the pork chops and the chicken breast, but we didn't get the steak, we can't afford that. We got the cheapest of meats. We walked up and we were going to pay for our groceries. And then I recognized this old man from church, who was right behind us, and he had this huge basket filled with really, really nice steak and really, really nice produce and all sorts of amazing, wonderful things. And he had a huge smile on his face, and he just crept around his cart and walked around, and he stepped in for my mom, and he paid for her groceries, and he paid for his. And then he escorted us out to our car, and he helped my mom load up our groceries into our station wagon, and then he loaded up his into our station wagon. And then he just walked away. He had the biggest smile on his face. That was the first time I remember generous grace in my life. When you've been given grace, you give it how often? As freely, as much as you can, because you know what it's like to receive it. And you just want everybody else to have a chance to have it. The second thing I have found is that when you, what you do with the riches you have on this earth, both in grace and in material things, reveals where your heart's desire lie. See, how you relate to God vertically influence how you will relate to people horizontally. So if you find it difficult to help someone in need, this exposes the hard quality that God wants to soften in your heart. Because God has been clear time and time again, from Moses to the prophets to Jesus to Paul, his heart, his wealth, his love is for everyone. And he will give it again and again and again. He wants you to be a part of that. My husband, when I met him, I was introduced to Keith Green for the first time. He is a Keith Green lover. And he's super nostalgic about it, Um, so if you ever meet him, he'll cry with you over Keith Green, <laughs> it's quite funny.
1: Um, if you don't know about Keith
0: Green, he's, he's got one of the most amazing beautiful voices. He died in a plane crash, but during his time when he was a Christian singer, he realized very quickly he could have accumulated a lot of wealth. He was very, very well known, he was, his record sales were through the roof, he was invited everywhere all the time for concerts. And so he decided, and he told his manager, I want to be paid this certain amount, which was actually a, a you know, a, a, an okay amount. It wasn't anything wealthy. It wasn't anything poor. It was an amount to live by. And he said, and give everything else away. And they gave literally everything else away to the poor, to the needy, to women that were pregnant that needed something. They opened up their homes and they gave it all away. What he did with his wealth was reflective of what he what was going on in his heart. The song, O oh Lord, You're Beautiful, Your face is all I see. For when your eyes are on this child, your grace abounds to me. I wanna take your word and shine it all around, but first help me just to live it, Lord. And when I'm doing well, help me to never seek a crown, for my reward is giving glory to you. Lastly, I found that your heart desires will point you towards what, can you, what you can expect for eternity. I like to call this the chance to bring pockets of heaven here on earth. When your heart is so enraptured with grace and giving it out as abundantly as it is given to you, you see pockets of heaven here now. You start to cl- catch glimpses of what eternity will be like. I will have never experienced this more than the work I get to do with Amira. It's amazing to offer a woman a clean bed that is hers, a place where she can rest, where she can have peace, that she can call this home her own. We had one woman that she had a very long, hard day. It was raining really, really bad. And she was walking home in the rain and she was so mad because her program clinician had told her on the way out, hey, remember your umbrella? And she forgot her umbrella, so she she was slightly cursing the woman underneath her breath as she was walking home in the rain. And, And then it dawned on her, and she started to smile as she walked home in the rain, that she had her own bed, her own warm bed to come home to. And so she just started to feel happy in the midst of the pouring cold rain. There's nothing in my life that gives me more joy than giving these women a chance. I often think about the fact that Jesus said in his Father's house are many mansions, and then he's gonna go prepare a place for each of us. Everybody that receives his grace, you get a mansion. It's like Oprah, you get a mansion, you get a mansion. You know. Being at a mirror is a glimpse of this amazing act of Jesus we prepare a beautiful room for this woman and wait for her to come receive it each night there's a feast waiting for her at a dinner table that she comes home to after a long hard day each day she's offered grace again and again as we wait for her to receive it a beautiful room is prepared for her a glimpse of heaven you know that right now we're working to expand our efforts to connecticut And we are currently looking at potential properties, and I kid you not, one of those properties is a mansion. A glimpse of heaven. The rich man missed his chance. Don't miss yours. He missed it. I'm not here to knock the rich and the wealthy to say that you can't have money. I'm here to say don't miss it. Don't miss the chance to live a life that is giving grace lavishly, lovingly, wholeheartedly. He missed this chance, and that determined everything for him. God is offering grace here and now. Receive it, let it change your life, and then let's see the amazing things that are done with his amazing grace in your life.